Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. January AFC NFC Championship weekend one great game one not so great game we'll get to the NFL in just a bit but let's welcome everyone to another week in sports mm-hmm. so let's talk a little bit about what is happening locally because a lot of our listeners are here locally in Oahu in Hawaii so let's talk a little bit about UH sports of course the men's volleyball team went away really rolled their reserves as they played a couple of not top tier teams they swept their north carolina trip they'll come back home now still undefeated still number one ranked the men's basketball team continued their real puzzling play where one half they're great one half they're not they lose a tough game on thursday coming back late to take a one point lead only to have santa barbara knock down a shot with less than two seconds left to beat the the Warriors by one. They come back Saturday, take a huge lead on Bakersfield. 45 points they score in the first half, only to score 20, 20 or so points in the second half, led Bakersfield all the way back in the game. So I think Aaron Gannat right now is a little bit concerned that the team is unable to put together a solid 40 minutes. They're playing 20 good minutes and 20 bad minutes, and that's just not the recipe for success. No, not at all. I mean, I've seen, I mean, we've seen it at the pro- professional level many times where you take the basically take your pedal uh, foot off the pedal. And for, you know, uh, the college ranks, it's, it's just that much more easier. And you always, on the opposite side, you always have that old college try that there's always a chance. So it's twofold. One, you take your pedal off the, off the um, take your foot off the pedal. The other, that the other team can always have a chance to come back in. So it happens. Yeah, and then, unfortunately for, for UH, as... I mean, it's all relative. They're still 16 and 6. They're mm-hmm. still 6 and 3 in conference, which is pretty good. But this has to be one of the worst shooting UH teams in quite a while. Every game, they seem to be around 40%. I'm not sure if that's just bad shooting or they tend to run the clock down to the last second and then they scramble to take a shot. But hopefully they can get this corrected and they can put together a solid stretch because we're now halfway through the the uh, league play so we're a month away from march madness it's hopefully that they can turn that around now locally in sports tomorrow we'll start two girls state tournaments of course for ernie and i who uh were soccer coaches we're most interested i believe in the girls soccer state championships so kamehameha defeated punahou last week 2-0 to win the ilh they are the number one seed the number two seed is mililani who rolled through the oia the number three seed is waiakea from the big island and the number four seed is ks maui so those are the top four seeds they don't see action until wednesday but starting tomorrow campbell travels to hilo um Moanalua and Kapolei will square off at Moanalua. King Kikaulike will host the Waipahu Marauders. And Punahou and Pearl City will play at Punahou. Punahou-Pearl City is a hell of a game for the first round matchup. And I feel badly for Pearl City because that Punahou team is the real deal. In fact, looking at how this is shaping up, I kind of feel like it's it's going to be Kamehameha on one side and the winner of Punahou and Mililani on the other side come championship Saturday next week. Yeah, I'm not really sure about that. I mean, years ago when we were, when we were coaching, uh, Pro City had, uh, you know, Sunshine Fontes back then. You know, they had where she, they won the state champions when she was a, she was a freshman. I'm not sure if that stands the same now for Pro City. It's been a while you know, since that their last state championship, and we always know that the Punahou uh, women are—they're uh, a machine. They're basically a machine. I mean, the last time I saw them really lose was in a state tournament, maybe four years ago, when they lost to Kamehameha when they were the number one ranked team uh, going into the playoffs, and 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 they ended up coming back and. 
They won the state championships. Yeah, so Kamehameha is going for their fourth consecutive girls' state soccer championship. They are the number one seed. They're going to be the favorite to do so, but we're going to have to see how that shakes out. In girls' basketball, the number one seed, topsy-turvy, going back and forth kind of all year. Surprisingly, not surprisingly, Iolani is the number one seed. They're going for their third consecutive state championship. Number two is Konawaina, long one of the powers in the right. state. Number three, Lahaina Luna. Number four, Campbell. So Campbell, back-to-back OIA champions for your alma mater there with the Campbell Crusaders. Now, in the opening round play, uh, you're going to have, surprisingly, Kamehameha Kapalama made the tournament by getting through the gamut of upsetting Marino, upsetting Punahou, because they were fourth in the regular season. Somehow, they got into the state tournament. They will host Kaiser tomorrow. Moanalua will host Kailua. Kahuku travels to the Big Island to face Waikea. And Radford goes to Maui to face Maui. So that's the action there. Um, I think it's a little bit more wide open. This Iolani team is not as dominant as the teams the last few years with Wahine Kupo, uh, and Lefotu there. So I think this year it could be probably either Konawaina or Iolani, but it wouldn't surprise me to have, say, Lahaina Luna, or maybe Campbell can pull the upset and knock Iolani off. Well, I know who I'm cheering for, so let's go Sabres. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so gang, that's kind of it. Boys Soccer State Tournament will be in two weeks. Last night, there was the... uh, Mililani, just like on the girls' side, they knock off Kalani last night. They win the OIA championship. And Iolani and Punoho in a dogfight on the boys' side in the ILH. Iolani survives and knocks off Punoho. They will be the ILH's top seed um, in the boys' tournament, which will happen next week. Okay, so the girls are this weekend. Boys basketball and soccer will be next weekend. So let's turn our attention, Ernie. And again, that's Ernie. I'm Monty. We are the Sports Rivals, part of the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. NFC, AFC championship games. A lot of talk that these were the four best teams. I think both of us agreed. Tight spreads you had going into the game. I think it closed at Philadelphia minus two and a half or three. You had Kansas City. That was going all over the place. The spread went from Casey giving all the way to Cincinnati giving three, all the way back to Casey giving one and a half when it looked like Mahomes would play. Mm-hmm. Let's start in the AFC because it ended up being a much better game. Yeah, definitely. Kansas City pulls it off 23-20. Osai makes a roughing the passer <laughs> on, a, on a ball that gives Kansas City an opportunity to kick a 42-yard game-winning field goal. Harrison Butker doesn't miss. Kansas City goes to their third Super Bowl in five years, 23-20 to 20 over Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Yeah. I'm surprised. How about you? I, I am actually surprised at the way that Mahomes played. I mean, after the first half, I kind of, hey, this is going to be a game. I didn't expect Mahomes to be that mobile. I mean, and you saw him. He got hurt. He was thrown down to the ground. I mean, let's just say this. The beginning part of the game set the tone. I mean, the Kansas City defense came out strong, sacking uh, Joe Burrows on consecutive plays, sack, sack, sack. You know, so they came out uh, setting the tone that, hey, uh, Cincinnati, you're going to have to earn it today. And I really expected a higher scoring game than than what, what came out. But Mahomes poised in the pocket. The way he, uh, you know, shifted his weight to not uh, put as, to put as least pressure, you know, on that that injured right ankle was was amazing. And you saw when he rolled to his left that you know, and that's where I thought that the mistake was for the Cincinnati Bengals that they did did not come out and attack. he knew he wasn't that mobile, you know, and you knew he was favorite. I would have attacked that left side big time. Make him scramble, knowing that that's his off. Uh, off leg and you know just take it from there you know spy him on one but to me they played the regular game it came out close oh so i feel bad i felt bad for him just looking at his reaction on the bench after he made that that blunderous personal foul at the end i mean you do not want to see you don't want to see a a game decided by by a fall. Yeah. I mean, we're, it looked like for all 
sense and purposes. It looks like we're headed to overtime again, just like last year. I agree with you. I was surprised at how Kansas City came up offensively. I think Cincinnati expected them to run the ball a little bit more. Me too. But they went four to one passes. They put the the game and the ball in Mahomes' hand, and he came through. I mean, it wasn't his best game, but he threw for over 300 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He did have that blum that blunder fumble when he stepped on Pacheco's foot, and the ball just fell out of his hands, which allowed Cincinnati at the time to tie the game. Um, but I think the story was Kansas City's defense. So last week, uh, the Bengals had three offensive linemen hurt today and last week. It did not affect them at all last week. They bulldozed through Buffalo, rushing for almost 180, almost 200 yards. Mm -hmm. Uh, They just completely dominated. But today, that did not happen. Chris Jones was a man amongst boys putting pressure up the middle on two sacks. He also had some stops for losses on the running game. Right at the beginning, you had Frank Clark in on a couple of sacks. Um, Joe Burrow was on his heels, and they never could get into a true, real rhythm. He was under pressure a lot more than I think he expected to be. Um, He got picked a couple times. And Kansas City prevails. I mean, you got to give them credit. Kansas City going to their third Super Bowl in five years. I thought the Bengals were on a roll. I thought they had enough to get it done today. It did not happen. It was a tight battle. It did not happen. Can Patrick Mahomes now win his second? So if he will win his second, he's going to knock have to knock off the Philadelphia Eagles. In what ended up being a totally anticlimactic NFC championship. It was. It, Your it, thoughts? It, it was basically a snooze. I mean, once... Once Brock Purdy got injured and you knew that he couldn't throw, I mean, that's when the wheels came off for the 49ers. I think they o- they overplayed whatever game plan they were trying to they're trying to do. Philadelphia Eagles took advantage of all of that, and you know they just ran. You know they just put up more points uh, and more points and more points against that vaunted. I really thought if San Francisco could play their game, force turnovers that they could have buttoned. You know, I'm not their coach. The it was obvious that they were going to be taking risk. You know, and sometimes it works. I mean, let's go back to the Kansas City. Reed, the first touchdown was on a fourth down play, and they scored a touchdown. They also went on a fourth and one, and they converted that. On the opposite opposite side of the coin, uh, in the in the San Francisco uh, Philadelphia game, their gambles did not work, and it just piled up on it. You know, at the end, it was just, you knew that, you know, it was just a matter of time. And that's what made the game uh, a snoozer, in my opinion. I mean, I had a hard time watching that second half. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're an objective NFL fan, of which I am not, you probably did not enjoy that game at all. No. Now, as a Rams fan, watching the 49ers get beat up a little bit, <laughs> that had some uh, some redemptive feelings from a horrible season for the Rams. <laughs> and the only reason is, and we're going to go off topic here, we're going to do a little venti, okay. is the 49er fans are the most arrogant, irritating, <laughs> obnoxious, loud vocal fans that all year long they're they're laughing at the Rams at all of their injuries as if that wasn't an excuse and then this karma bit them in the butt today yeah, tell me how you feel about Kinlaw well or Greenlaw <laughs> I mean, I mean, Greenlaw yeah, I mean Greenlaw with the three punches in the second half he's just a typical dirty player and then you kind of saw the 49ers get so frustrated Trent Williams throws somebody down throws punches I'm actually shocked uh, only two people were ejected there. Anyway, <laughs> that was my vent. So I'm glad they got what was coming to them in terms of their arrogance. Um, however, if you're an objective fan, losing Purdy quickly in the first half and then Josh Johnson coming in, that's a problem. I actually thought Kyle Shanahan is a brilliant coach. But for whatever reason, in these types of situations, he makes some blunders sometimes. Two things in particular today that were really costly early on. One, the Devontae Smith catch on fourth down that looked like an amazing catch. Was it? Later on, you kind of saw that it wasn't. I kind of got the feeling that it may not have been when Devontae Smith was constantly making these signs, trying to rush everybody, and they effectively did. They rushed the play. It was not challenged. That directly led to seven points there for Philadelphia. And then the other thing that I really questioned, Philadelphia 
San Francisco scores, ties it up. Philadelphia, great drive to go down the field and score 14-7 right before the half. You already have Josh Johnson playing. He is your fourth string quarterback. He's been in the league for 15 years on 13 different teams. And with a minute and 15 seconds left, you decide to let him try to get down the field to score. And I thought that was the dagger because he fumbles the snap. Philadelphia recovers it, takes it in again. And at 21 to 7, it changed everything. To me, you run out the clock. 14 to 7, you're still in yep. the game. I San agree. Francisco gets the ball to start the second half. With the injuries, you got to keep it as close as possible. But to try and let Josh Johnson go down the at that point, at that part of the field, I thought that was a mistake. And once it got to 21 7 with Purdy out, it was all she wrote. Oh, and it was. 31 7 was actually a closer than expected considering they could do nothing. They yeah. literally could not throw the ball, they ran the ball. On every single play in the second half, bar one. Yeah, and I actually thought if I actually thought in my head if San Francisco can keep this under twenty as far as Philadelphia is concerned, I thought they they would have a shot. I thought I thought their defense was that good that they could force turnovers, force a fumble, you know, do whatever and just game manage, game manage field position wise, you know, and maybe get that turnover that, exactly yeah. and get get a touchdown. But no, they went for the juggler. In my opinion, it was way too early. Exactly what you said. Yeah. I mean, they took too many chances too early. They, in my opinion, they did not trust the, their power hand, which was their defense. Yeah. And the defense, uncharacteristically, were making penalties that they don't normally make, that extended plays. But I think going in 21-7 with a quarterback that you know your starting quarterback is out, uh, and then Josh Johnson gets concussed right at the start right. of the second half. I think the defense was like, how are we going to do this? Yeah, no, they we, put, we're going to have to score. Yeah. We're going to have yeah, to score. Exactly. So they get ultra aggressive, exactly. leading to more and more, more penalties and, yeah. and mistakes. And it just kind of completely took them out of there. So coming into this game, I thought San Francisco and Cincinnati were playing the best. They were on two long winning streaks. Ernie had both of them, San Francisco and Cincinnati, in the preseason making it to the Super Bowl. However, last week we talked about it. We both thought Philadelphia had the advantage in this game. That proved to be so. We didn't expect the injury to Brock Purdy that close in the game. Um, But that leaves us in the Super Bowl 14-3, 14 and 3, number one seed Philadelphia. 14 and 3. Well, they're now both 16 and 3. Number one seed Kansas City. Off the top of my head, Ernie, I can't remember the last time there were two number one seeds. I, yeah. I mean, I really can't. Yeah. Um, recently, the number one seeds were getting knocked out Green Bay early on the last two years. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure when was the last time we've had two number one seeds. Early line, Philadelphia is a two-point favorite, 49 and a half over under. That's about right. And gang, next week, we'll break this game down a lot further. Ernie and I will tell you who we expect to win the Super Bowl, but that'll be next week. So I think for NFC AFC Championship weekend, I think you had one great game. You had one disappointing game. Yeah. If you're a, an objective fan, but for us Ram fans and Philadelphia <laughs> fans, the <laughs> NFC Championship game, the only thing better was last year's <laughs> NFC Championship game. No, definitely. Coming off of la- last year's playoffs, uh, I mean, it wasn't just the end, it was the AFC Championship. It went to overtime, my goodness, on uh, when Cincinnati defeated uh, the Kansas City Chiefs last year. So, I mean, this year didn't. Match. Yeah, I didn't think this year's playoffs were anywhere near as good as last, last year's playoffs. Year, yeah, last year's was definitely. I mean, last year's playoffs was the best playoffs in the history of I, the NFL. I would say, I, especially it, with the end result. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, Ernie speechless because he kind of agreed, but doesn't want to give it I, to I, me. I didn't want to give him the flowers. I'm sorry, I'm, you know, but it was it, it it was one of the better playoffs. Yeah, but I'll, you know, I'll leave it at that. When all is said and done. The Super Bowl will have AFC's best, NFC's best. May the best team win. Um, I don't really have a dog in the fight. It wouldn't bother me if either team wins. It wouldn't bother me if either team loses. I think mission has been accomplished. San Francisco's out. uh, And that's really all that mattered. (laughs) I'm really risking it with all the 49er fans here locally. Bring it on! Bring it on! I'll balance you on San Francisco. I I have family in the Bay Area. (laughs) So in, in... Even they're happy. Yeah, so even 
<laughs> They're probably Raider fans. <laughs> so I, 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 would, I, I had a rooting interest for for the 49ers in there. I mean, you know, uh, I've, I've, I've liked I've liked them other than the Steelers. You know, since the Joe Montana days, uh, even with the Warriors in basketball, uh, it, you know, other than last year. When they played the Celtics, they're my second favorite basketball. Actually, I got I got to tell you, Ernie, I because the Rams were always junk when the 49ers were good. Mm-hmm. I actually grew up in the seventies. The Rams were great; they would always lose in the playoffs, but they were always good. Then from the eighties until Kurt Warner came in two thousand in that 1998-1999 season, the Rams were putrid. At that time, the 49ers with Montana, Steve Young, right. they were great at that time. So I was a huge 49er fan. Jerry Rice is still one of my favorite players of all time. But now that they're both good at the same time, I can really see the obnoxious <laughs> arrogance of their fans. <laughs> all right, gang, that's the NFL. We'll break down the, the Super Bowl next week. For all of you betters, we'll tell you what to bet on and how to handle the Super Bowl. But for now, we're going to transition into the NBA. We're going to talk NBA All-Star. But before we get that, I know Ernie's going to talk about this a little bit later, but there's just too much tension and frustration <laughs> in my neck from that Lakers-Celtic game go, last yeah, night. Go ahead, go ahead. When LeBron James goes up for the game-winning layup, gets... I mean, his hand's almost amputated <laughs> by Jason Tatum. Oh no foul is called. Oh. LeBron loses his mind. I lose my mind on my sofa. I had to text Ernie at that time. Uh, I just, I was fit to be tied. Of course, the Celtics go on and win in a game that the Lakers should have won, could have won. won. They should have won. But they did not win. And I think LeBron's reaction to that is the culmination of what has been a rough two weeks for the Lakers with last second calls going against them against Dallas, Sacramento, Philadelphia, and now Boston. So four games they believe they got hosed out of winning. They lost all four. Um, Instead of being 27 and 23, they're 23 and 27. And uh, they're playing much better. Mm -hmm. But at some point, they're 50 games in. There's only 32 left. You got to start winning games. And with the LeBron and AD, you're not playing them all the time. They're seeding both of them tomorrow. Speculation is the Lakers are just pissed at the NBA, and that's a national TV game. So they're going to sit their good players and let, let it be a TV stinker mm. and save them for the Knicks on Tuesday. So I just had to vent in terms of that. Um, I'm sure Ernie has a different take on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's. I agree with everything you say. They should even the amputation of his not hand. the amputation. That's 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 oh, a, really dramatized. It's a little too much hot sauce on that taco right there. All right, so. But the Boston Celtics, that snapped a three-game losing streak for them. They're still at the top of the East. The 76ers are playing great, great ball. As I knew they were. I mean, they have really come on strong. I actually actually picked them early, uh, you know, prior to the season to actually uh, be the number one seed in the East. I just didn't know the Celtics were going to come off, uh, you know, without. I thought the Celtics would be somewhere like about three or four. And then when Rob Williams came back, pushed their way, you know, into about the two or three seed. But, you know, it's better than expected, you know. Yeah, Harden has come back from his injury. He's playing a He's lot playing better. Well. Philadelphia has now won seven in a row to close to within two and a half. Chris Middleton is back. Now the Bucks are playing better. They've reeled off four straight wins since Middleton has come back. So they're within two and a half. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn is still hanging around but we'll see how long they can hang around and how quickly Kevin Durant can come back but right now I think it's just those three teams I mean I think the the Celtics the 76ers and the Bucks not that anyone else can't get hot but no one else really scares me other than those top three teams yeah I mean uh, it's it's hard to say I mean Miami has crept up there I mean crept up to the sixth spot I would expect the Miami Heat to actually move uh, to challenge Brooklyn for that number f- for that number four spot, and then again, depending on in- injuries and whatnot, if the Cavaliers can fix something that has been going wrong, some you know, 
uh, earlier in the season when they were playing excellent ball because they got a talented group of players there. I have a feeling that the Cavaliers could be a, a problem. They're a big, long team, a la the uh, Toronto Raptors of yester- yesteryear. Yeah. You know, very, very long, very talented. Yeah, if, they're, if they're healthy, uh, I think they can. And they have a, do- a bona fide superstar, Donovan Mitchell, yeah. that has proven in the playoffs that he can go uh, and, and carry a team. So you're right. I think the Cleveland Cavaliers have the potential. I just think just based on experience, I think the top three teams are... Looking to me like the favorites in the West, it's still the Nuggets at the top. Although the Joker has been missing some games, Memphis is two games back, and then you have you know the surprising Sacramento Kings are three, the Clippers are four, the Timberwolves now have gotten hot. They're up to five, Golden State six, but everybody is really cluttered. And then finally, the New Orleans Pelicans have come back to earth. They've been doing so well considering they've been without Zion and without Brandon Ingram for such a long time. But that catches up with you eventually. They now are reeling, losing eight in a row to fall to the eighth spot. Phoenix is a mess. There's rumors that Chris Paul will be traded. And we'll talk a little bit more about the trade deadline maybe next week as well. Um, And then there you have it. My Lakers still 11 games back. You know, two games out of the 10th spot just to get into into the playoffs. So that's kind of where we stand from a standings perspective. But Ernie, the the starters were announced. And if you remember, it's 50% fan vote, 25% media, 25% player. And the player part of this definitely factored in because these players, Ernie, were smoking (laughs) marijuana before they were putting in their vote. Gang, listen to this. 330 different players received a vote to start the All-Star game, including 10 people that haven't played yet this year, (laughs) including one, Chet Holmgren, who hasn't played yet in his career. Yeah, he had four votes. And he had four votes. (laughs) So these players are certainly not taking this seriously, seriously, which which, you know, has an impact on players that probably should do that. So this is what we have. So what we're going to do is Ernie and I will tell you who we believe should make the all-star team as the reserves. The coaches will pick the reserves coming up a little bit later. I'm not sure I'm a big fan of how they're going to play the game. They announced this week that they're only going to pick the teams right before the game starts. Right. It's like a pickup game in Mohuli Park, those of you that grew up in Hilo <laughs> like me. That's kind of how they're going to do it, which seems odd. That seems a little bit weird. I'm not sure the true benefit of doing that, um, but that's how they're going to do that. In the West... Um, No surprise, you had LeBron, the top vote getter. He's going to be the captain. You had the Joker. Zion gets more player votes, so he's a starter. Um, And then Luka and Steph Curry are your starters there. In the East, Durant, Giannis, your captain. Tatum holds off Embiid. And then Kyrie and Donovan Mitchell hold off Jalen Brown there. So I know that Ernie would have a different starter in the East. Kyrie out, Jalen Brown in. I think I would agree with that. But let's kind of go. Let's start with you, Ernie. I'm curious to see none of the starters would not make the all-star team. So that's not that big of a deal. But who fills out your 12-man roster in the East, because to me the East is really difficult to narrow it down to twelve. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I mean, the really there's 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 three or four that are, are solid in there. You already mentioned Jalen Brown, you know, 26, 26 point, close to twenty seven points a game, set over seven rebounds, uh, a net rating of four point seven. Yeah. And really good friends with the referee last night. <laughs> <laughs> and he, yeah, he definitely, in my opinion, I mean, it's, I'm not going to fight over Irving being the starter, but if you go based upon who uh, contributes more, I think Brown contri- contributes more uh, more rebounds. I mean, Kyrie Irving has more assists, but he's the point guard. Jalen Brown sometimes enters that court as the number three. Okay, and let alone him being the number two. So I don't even count that uh, assist advantage for for Kyrie Irving. And we and and you got to be blind to think that Kyrie Irving plays defense better than Jalen Brown. So I, I do believe that Jalen Brown. But I also think that Harden, if not for his missed games, should have had the nod over Irving. Harden is 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 having an excellent year in my opinion. I mean, he plays second fiddle to Embiid. 
but he still averages, you know, almost 22 points, but 11.2 assists per game, you know, and he has a net rating of 6.4. For those of you who don't understand what I'm saying by net rating, you have an offensive rating and you have a defensive rating per number of uh, touches on the ball. So if you're actually, it shows if, uh, in comparison, I'll I'll use Trey Young, who scores 27 points a game. But his net rating is 0.8, which means he's giving up close to 27 points a game. So that's basically what I'm saying over there. So Harden has a net rating of 6.4. Just for comparison uh, sakes, Irving has a 4.6. And he's had that 4.6. That's come up a lot in that long winning streak that the Nets have had. I think when they were, they they won like 16 out of the 18 games. It, 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 earlier in the year, uh, it wasn't like that. But anyways, to round off my... Uh, my East reserves. You're gonna have to have Embiid. Okay, so Embiid, um, Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown, uh, Randall has had. A, I mean, he's the number one on the Knicks. Knicks have have had a successful season. Uh, I already mentioned Harden. I can't leave out uh, Adebayo. You know, not one of his best years, but still All Star caliber. Twenty one points, ten rebounds, three assists. Uh, now the last two spots, I'm gonna give to guards. I'm going to give the cards. I'm going to leave out Jimmy Butler. I'm sorry. I got, I got to leave out Jimmy Butler because um, that Miami team uh, doesn't deserve two All-Stars, in my opinion. But I'm going to put Tyrese Halliburton in there. Tyrese Halliburton uh, playing excellent ball. I, I believe he is, one, of the, if not one of the leaders, the, uh, the leader in assists per game. Uh 20 points, four rebounds, and he plays decent defense. Not his best year in defense, but he plays de- decent defense. And then I'm going to go, and this might surprise some people, I'm going to put in Darius Garland as my last player on top of them. 22 points per game, 8.1 assists, 1.4 steals, and his net rating of a 5.5. Well, he made it last year. Yeah, he made it last year. and I, I, he, is a, he is a very talented Oh, guard. The only thing is he's a little bit too streaky for me. But if he's hot, he's as good as any guard in my point guard in my opinion out there. I mean, that guy gets streaky. He can uh, put it up from from anywhere. So he just nudges out in my opinion. Uh, Butler, Trey Young. I had to really think hard about Siakam. You know, tw- you know, twenty five points, eight rebounds, sixes. Very well balanced game in Siakam. Ah. Uh, you got some something's wrong is happening in that Toronto uh, team uh, they're too good to be doing what they're doing and it seems like even though Siakam has those stats they're they're Westbrook like they're really empty calorie types of stats because they keep on losing uh, I also took a look at uh, Brunson out there and in my opinion rookie of the year Paulo Bancaro uh, should be considered the only thing is he I thought he'd be playing better defense. His defense has led up this year. I think if he played better defense, uh, he would have had a legitimate shot of making that East squad. But going with Embiid, Randall, Brown, Harden, Adebayo, Tyrese Halliburton, and Garland as my reserves in the East. Okay, so I agree with some. I, I definitely agree with Joel Embiid. I, I definitely agree with Jalen Brown. I also agree with Tyrese Halliburton. I think he has been amazing for them. He currently leads the, the league in assists because Harden doesn't have enough games. And I agree with Julius Randle with his 24.5 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists. And I agree with Bam Adebayo at over 21 points, 10 rebounds, 3 assists, and a tremendous defensive player. Where I do differ is that I do have Pascal Siakam in there. I believe that he is the best player on that team. 25 points, 8 rebounds, almost 7 assists. That's a heck of a stat line. Uh, And he's a good defensive player. So although Toronto is not playing up to their standards, uh, I don't believe it's because of Pascal Siakam. Uh, So I have him in there. And it came down to the last spot for me. I gave it to Trey Young. I totally get your net rating. He's not a defensive player, but his 27 points, 10 10 assists per game. Um, And I think he's just more of an all-star type player because we all know that there's no defense. They'll be launching the ball from 35, 40 feet. I just think he fits the game more. Um, But I agree with you. Jimmy Butler just missed. He's missed too much time. I don't have Harden in there because I thought Harden missed 
too many games. He's missed 18 games so far this year. So I have him out, although he's played well since returning. DeMar DeRozan is still averaging 26-5-5, but the but the uh, the Bulls are struggling, and I believe Siakam is, is having a better year all around than DeRozan. Brunson and Garland, you've already mentioned, so I think they've done well. Kyle Kuzma has played well for mm-hmm. the Wizards, yes. but not better than you know the other guys that we've already mentioned on the right. wing. Porzingis has had good stats. Um, Nikola Vujicic is probably the next best big man, but you don't need big men. Uh, that many big men in an all-star game you already have Embiid you already have Giannis that's good enough so uh, I agree with you the only difference is is I keep Trey Young in because I just believe he fits the all-star game and I have Siakam you have Harden you have Garland so um, it'll be interesting to see I actually think Garland could get in over Trey Young because their team is better Mm -hmm. so it wouldn't surprise me if Garland gets in because I think that does matter and Jalen Brunson is getting a lot of love recently. So he may find a way to sneak in. If he does, I hope it's not at the expense of Tyrese Halliburton. Me too. I believe that guy has lifted the Pacers to a level where they now decide to keep Miles Turner by extending him. So, But the East is tough. I mean, the East to me was very, very tough. And guarantee somebody's going to be left out here. So um, that being said, let's switch to the West. I'll go first in terms of the reserves there. I think it's a little bit more clear cut to me. Um, I think Zion as the starter now creates a, a situation where will Anthony Davis missing 23 games still get a nod for the All-Star team? For now, I'm going to say no. Um, for the same reason I left Harden out, I'm going to leave AD out, although there's not quite the competition uh, in, in the West as there is in the East. So John Morant would definitely be my number one uh, reserve in the West. SGA is a, my number two reserve in the West. I think he's having an unbelievable season. Damian Lillard, he put up 60 the other day. He's now averaging over 30 points a game. Initially, I had him out, but he's come on strong recently. It's kind of hard to leave him out. By my logic, having Trey Young in there, I have to have Damian Lillard in there. Uh, Laurie Markkinen would be my big man. The only big man that I have, uh, well, not that's not true. Laurie Markkinen was 24, almost 25 points a game, almost nine rebounds a game, has really been the shining light for the Utah Jazz. DeMontis Sabonis, who's probably been the second best big man overall after the Joker in the West, 19 points, 13 rebounds, seven and a half assists. Uh, his teammate De'Aaron Fox I have as well, so a lot of young, fast point guards for me, 24 points, six and a half assists, four over four rebounds. And then the last slot for me came down to youth or experience. And for me, the last eight games where the Pelicans have struggled, keep CJ McCullen off the team and puts Anthony Edwards on the team. So I have Anthony Edwards with his 20, almost 25 points, six rebounds and four and a half assists making my team. So the starters we've already talked about, LeBron, Joker, uh, Zion, Doncic, and Curry. I go with the backcourt of Morant, SGA, De'Aaron Fox, uh, Anthony Edwards as a wing, Laurie Markkinen, and DeMontis Sabonis as my wings. The only other ones that I would want to mention that I didn't mention yet, maybe Jeremy Grant with his 21 points. He's been an all-star before. And usually the Warriors get more love, although this year they're struggling. So I don't see a Draymond making it. I don't see Clay making it, even with his 20 and a half points a game. I don't see Jordan Poole with his 21 points a game making it either. Uh, or Anthony Simons. I think he's had a good year at 22 points. But none of those guys, I believe, really challenge seriously the, the, the players that I have mentioned. I think it comes down to, will AD make it as a, as a big man? I don't think he should because he's missed too many games, but it wouldn't shock me if he did make it and maybe Anthony Edward gets left off. So what do you think about my West and who do you have that may differ from me? Yeah, I, I, can, I, I see where you're coming from in regards to that. Uh, you know, you being the Laker fan, I'm surprised that you left AD out. You know, I am not a Laker fan. I have AD in. I just thought <laughs> when he was in and he was playing, especially that 10-game stretch. Oh, he was dominant. He, he, was, he was the best player during a stretch, in my opinion. He was the best. 
uh, you, you can't ignore that. I mean, and players can't ignore that. Fans can't. He, in my opinion, uh, uh, especially when it's just an all-star game, you know, when it's an all-star game, uh, <coughs> I'll be a little bit more lenient towards that. I have him on my team. <coughs> not, 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 okay. not, not a top reserve, but, you know, he makes the team. I'm curious to see who you knocked out of mine then. Yeah, well, I have the same as you. I have John Morant as, you know, my as my sixth man. Uh, my seventh man, surprising or not, is is uh, a Gonzaga guy. Your Gonzaga guy, a Domates. Yeah. I really, I really. Uh, if you don't believe in the Sacramento Kings, <laughs> believe in the Sacramento. They're for real. Uh, uh, Sabonis and Fox uh, have made it, and to me, Fox has been there, and and he had Halliburton on his side, and Halliburton made the the East All Star team. So bonus means that much. Now you might not like that he only scores he scores less than twenty points per game, but twelve point four rebounds, seven point three assists for a big man, and he's yeah. a and he's a protector. The guy is not a flash guy, just like the Joker. He just does it on a lesser level, in my mm-hmm. opinion. I have Domatis Sabonis. In my opinion, Sabonis should have taken Zion's spot. Zion, how talented he is. Uh, he's missed over 20 games. Yeah. yeah. He, to me, he should have been... And he's uh, he's unlikely to play anyway. So. Yeah, and he should have been sitting next to Davis, you know, in, in uh, making the all-star team, in my opinion, but as not, not as a starter. Who I also have SJ, who, I, who this, this guy is... Uh, when, and I'm saying if, I'm saying when the OKC Thunder become good again and they will they've got too much too much good young talent on that team uh the world will know about him he plays in a small market at okc uh the guy scores almost 31 points a game the guys the guy leads is the number one shot blocker amongst guards in in the nba i mean this guy is, is incredible if you haven't seen him play watch the okc thunder you will not miss sga he belongs on that team I have two old-timer OG stalwarts on on the All-Star team. I have I mean, I still think that the I wish I still think that the Phoenix Suns are uh, a semi-threat. I know there's a lot of turmoil going on there, but I still think their best player in my opinion, Devin Booker, uh, belongs on the All-Star team. 27 points, 4 rebounds, 6 6 assists. I also think that Paul George deserves a place on top of there. 23 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. And we all know that Paul George is one of the best two-way wings in the NBA, even now. So that, and the last uh, spot I have on the reserve roster for the West is Laurie Markkanen. Incredible year, incredible. This is what we thought about uh, when Chicago had Markkanen. And he was that top 10 draft pick. Uh, this is the marketing that we thought we'd see. I, I, you know, what a change in scenery has made for, for him. 24, uh, almost 25 points per game, 8.6 rebounds, uh, net rating of almost 6 per game. He deserves to be on that all-star team. So, again, to, to recap, I have John Morant, Damatis Sabonis, Shea Gillius and Alexander, Paul George, Devin Booker, uh, and Anthony Davis. Okay. So you have, you don't have De'Aaron Fox. You don't have Anthony Edwards. No. Uh, on there. So I think with Devin Booker, same thing with James Harden. I mean, Harden has actually played more games than Booker. Booker's only played 29 games this year, which is less than Anthony Davis. So it's hard for me to, to have Booker, although he's definitely one of the best players. But he's out. He wouldn't play anyway. So somebody else would, would replace him. And, and Paul George plays for the Clippers, although they're on the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. We don't like the Clippers. <laughs> and he's missed 14 games, so it gives me an excuse to yeah. not sit him. So that's going to be, I mean, that's the West and East All-Stars. You know, the thing with this is it's just that's how you get selected for the team. But the way they're going to draft, I mean, who knows who's going to be on what team? They're going to be mixed matched, uh, which would probably make for a better game because I think the East would dominate this game. Um, Yeah, well, maybe not. Maybe not because you have 
Steph Curry and you have Damian Lillard. The way that the way they play the All-Star game is they don't play any defense, defense. in the in, Yeah, in, in and then the it'll game. be rain to see if Durant plays. Um, so there may be opportunities for other people to get in. So that's just our choices right now. If you guys want, check us out. Social media, Sports Rivals Podcast, IG on Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. Tell us what you think. Anyone else that we're missing, anyone else that you think that should be in, uh, anyone that you disagree with that we have in, just let us know. But I want to transition now to Ernie and his closing thought. Okay, well, I'm going to start off uh, my closing thought with with actually uh, uh, a homage to Tyree Nichols. If you haven't heard, I mean, I don't see how you cannot hear about this. Uh, a Memphis guy who was stopped for suspected uh, reckless driving. Uh, it was incredible. I mean, I, I saw so many videos of this. I mean, I, I'm kind of outraged that this can still happen uh, after, you know, uh, what has happened in the past. Uh, to me, this was worse than George Floyd. It was worse than Eric Gardner. It was worse than uh, Rodney King. I mean, just the footage and the, just the sheer fact that he didn't do any egregious crime and he seemed to have cooperated initially with the cops until he got pepper sprayed and uh you know to me that sets president the guy was trying to be quiet and he he honestly i i i don't think that he knew that uh what he did was was that egregious to deserve that type of justice but anyway for those of you who don't know uh he was beaten up by the cops died three days later in the hospital my heart goes out to him and his family. Uh, I really sure hope that there are protests in regards to this. I know cops on the op- me, we both know cops who actually had the opposite ends, who actually tried to apprehend the criminals, good cops, and they got beaten up. So this is not like I'm a cop hater. We we, we know cops that are good cops and they got beaten up and, and whatnot. But this was, in my opinion, an outrage. And I really hope that this is not something that gets started by, you know, African-Americans. The culprits in this case were, uh, in most part, African-American. Uh, at least five of the cops. Well, they're, they're all, they were all African-American. They were all, yes. They were immediately terminated. Five of them are now charged with second-degree murder. So justice has been swift in regards to these particular yeah. officers. But I really hope, I really hope in this case that there, if there are demonstrations that a lot of the marchers out there are black, white, Hispanic, Asian, and that this is not a racial thing. This is a justice thing, because in my opinion, that's that. It, it's come down to oh no. Uh, I I I I heard. Uh, I saw one statement. I don't know if it came out uh, on on one of the articles about a poster. Oh no, the uh, this is not going to be blown up as big as as big as the other uh, protests because it would involve five black guys. It, that's not the case here. The, the case is uh, the way the police handle it, and it shouldn't have handled, been taken that way. And everyone, race, creed, whatever out there, should be a participant out there. I've rambled enough on that political side, so I'll go into my, my, my uh, thought of the week. And, and I didn't figure this out until like a couple of days ago. And this was actually after the Boston Celtics L.A. Laker game, and I'm going to be the first win. Monty texted me during the game, telling me exactly how he felt, and I texted him right back. I said, you know, Monty, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I'm embarrassed about this game, okay? The problem I have, okay, on top of this, the problem I, I after every Boston Celtic game, I'm a, I'm a junkie. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's probably missed, like, two Boston Celtic games in the last two seasons. So anyways, I go onto the internet, to follow up the story more because you know that's the type of fan I am, and I'm getting all I'm seeing all these comments. The Boston Celtics did not deserve to win. The Boston Celtics did not deserve to win. The Boston Celtics did not deserve to win. <laughs> that is a total BS. If the Boston Celtics did not deserve, then they would have lost. They didn't lose. The Lakers didn't lose on that play. 
They didn't win on that play, but they did not lose on that on that play. And throughout the entire game, you're talking about a Boston Celtic team who didn't have two starters, who whose all-star starter played a crap of a game other than like five minutes in the third quarter. I'm talking about Jason Day. He had a crap game, you know, until like that third quarter. The Lakers should have took that game and ran with it. They should have ran. And if not that, they should have took it in overtime, in my opinion. And yes, was, was that a fall? It obviously was. The ref admitted it after the game. But to say that the Boston Celtics did not deserve to win, uh, to me, that's, that, that's cry points. Because show me a game out there where every call was perfect. And if you're a Laker fan listening to this, I know my partner over here is, I can go back to game seven of the 2010 NBA championship where Kobe Bryant shot 15 free throws and the Boston Celtics as a team shot 17. Okay, and we didn't have, uh, we didn't have at that point, we we didn't have uh, Kendrick Perkins in that game. It was terrible. The, the meeting in December where the Boston Celtics played the Lakers, you could look at that game. The Lakers, if you look at the box, box score on that game, the LA Lakers had 40 free throws. Boston Celtics had 19. They went into overtime. They took care of it in overtime. Okay? But to, again, you have your opportunity. It doesn't come down to one play. In my opinion, no, nothing comes. If, if they deserve to win, that block shouldn't have mattered in my opinion. It shouldn't have mattered because it's so close that anything could happen. You're just leaving it up to chance. Now, was it a foul? I am, I am 100% saying, yes, it was a foul. But you could go through that whole game, replay it. They missed calls. I mean, the two, the, this is how bad it was. Both challenges were one. And you can go through a lot of challenges right now are at like about 29, 30% winning percentage. And both challenges were won on that night, which tells you how bad it was. It was, it was, it was, it was a bad, it was a badly uh, uh, rough game. I, I have no argument for that. But there were chats going on, and I was watching a Boston Celtic uh, review game, and there were chats going on saying, talk about, talk about the last call, talk about the last call. Why are you on a Boston Celtic uh, YouTube channel talking about it. Go to an LA Laker channel and talk about it. I don't want to hear about it because I see I've seen it. Uh, prior to this season, Jason Tenney was one of the biggest complainers, in, in my opinion, one of the biggest complainers of non-call fouls in the NBA. In my opinion, he was as bad as uh, you can say Marcus Smart. Flopping. I mean, that's how bad Jason Tatum was. He wouldn't get back on defense because he kept on talking to the ref. Uh, to me, that didn't help. You just play the game. There's going to be bad calls. There's going to be bad calls no matter. And for, let's say the, the, the game was called 100% correct. And then on the, and, and in this case, it happened on the, the 0.6 seconds left in the game that they had the bad call. Uh, do you really blame the refs on top of that? Now, Monty has a point. It's happened four times in a row for the Laker Nation. So I feel for you, Laker Nation. But you know what? They did not deserve to win. They did not. I'm sorry. They did not deserve to win. If they, they, they had their chance, they, they should have made a, uh, a bigger run. They are playing a Boston Celtics that were depleted, and they had overtime to do it. I'm sorry. That's... Uh, I feel bad, and I, I was embarrassed after the game, but uh, it is what it is. I know you want. As you can imagine, I have a different take. I mean, it is. I mean, the, it, the Lakers didn't lose on that call, but if the call is made, he hits one of two free throws, and the game is over. I think once that goes to overtime, the Lakers were mentally checked out. Um, I was actually surprised they came back, but almost immediately it was a it was a seven point lead within a minute. They were just so frustrated that it was, which is what happened in all these other close losses right. that went to overtime. Right. Um, 
So could they have won? Yes. The Celtics were missing two starters. The Lakers were missing their best player. Austin Reeves is still out. (laughs) (laughs) Forgot about that. Yeah, Austin Reeves is still out. But um, I I, I think one of the things that I think has to change, because there seems to be too many referee-related calls. As a Laker fan, I know ours are cases, but it's not just the Lakers. I hear this a lot. But I think you put in a challenge to try to alleviate some of these problems. Right. I think that's the kind of things that may need to be changed. I agree. If you have a challenge and you win, why should that penalize you? If they screw up once, why should you not be able to challenge a second screw up? And then if you're truly wanting to have the best results, then have replay. Let the referee go and replay it if it's in the last minute of the game or however you want to do it. You don't want to do it for a long period of time. But in the last minute, if there's a controversial call, why is it only out of bounds that gets replayed when something like that literally is a game changer as well? Yeah, I agree. So I, I think those are the kinds of things that if you're, if you're going to do replay, then replay should be should serve the purpose of why you want replay in there so that you can get things correct. So um, it's not the only reason the Lakers lost, but it was the major reason that they lost because once they went to overtime, it was over. The young lads are going to prevail. But the Celtics are the better team so far. I'm actually encouraged the way the Lakers are playing. The problem I said is we're so dependent on Anthony Davis and LeBron James staying healthy. And at some point, we got to get into the playoffs in order to make things happen. But if the Lakers are healthy and they somehow make it into the playoffs, there's not going to be a whole lot of teams in the West that's going to want to play a motivated, healthy LeBron, AD, and the rest of that team. Because Rui is a great addition. I agree. I think Rui Hachimura is going to fit in well. Another wing defender that can score inside and outside. But that's a big, big, big if that they're going to be able to stay healthy. But they've got 32 games just to get into the top 10. And if they're going to continue to sit LeBron and AD on back-to-backs, the Lakers are going to... I don't think the Lakers are going to be able to win any game when you sit LeBron and AD going forward. They just don't have enough depth um, to be able to win that. So Ernie is proud of his Celtics winning in that regard. (laughs) I didn't expect the Lakers to be close. I wasn't even watching the game until the fourth quarter and then watching it, them going up four. And then you have that and one call that that was right (laughs) before LeBron's drive. But I think for LeBron, you could see his reaction. He's just so frustrated because for whatever reason, and this is not only now, this is 10 years of this. He doesn't get the calls that other people get for whatever reason. Like Shaq didn't get calls. Um, LeBron doesn't get calls, maybe because he's just big and strong or whatever, but he only shoots six free throws a game. SGA shoots 12. Doncic shoots 12. Harden shoots 12. Embiid shoots 12. Giannis shoots 12. LeBron shoots six. So there's... And he was, go- he was going to the hole against the Celtics uh, last night, time after time after time. Um, but anyway... It's the, the, the Celtics won, the Lakers lost. I just hope that this can be corrected. It just seems weird. So many people always say that the league always wants the Lakers to win. I tell you what, the last two weeks, that's very hard to believe when these four controversial calls all go against the Lakers, all leading to losses, directly or indirectly led to losses. So Ernie made a good point. I, too, agree on the on the Tyree Hill situation. That was an egregious thing. Hopefully, they do have the blueprint now that when somebody does commit this type of egregious act, you immediately take action. And I believe that's why the national protests have been very minimal, because justice is being swiftly taken for these officers. However, I worry that it is not said that the only reason action is being taken this quickly is because they're all black officers. Yeah. Because that's a very obvious thing that can be stated. And I think uh, the attorney, Ben Crumb, said it well. Let this be the blueprint. So if this happens again, whether it be black officers and a white victim or white officers and a black victim, that this type of follow-up and immediate justice takes place. Because only then can we start to move on. Things are going to happen. You're going to... You're going to... Mistakes are going to happen. These types of bad 
things are going to happen, but it's how you deal with it and how quickly and decisively you deal with it that really matters to people. And this one is not getting swept under the rug. You're absolutely right. So that was a little deep. That was a lot of anger in that last sex, mostly on my side. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, gang, again, reminder, we are part of the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. Please check out Kule and Allen weekday mornings at 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on 760 a.m. 95.1 FM. Remember, they carry OIA Sports, Clipper Basketball, HPU Sports. They do an amazing, amazing job. That's Ernie. I'm Monty Ernie. You got anything else? I'm good. And tune in next week. Super Bowl Sunday preview. It's the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are two-point favorites. We'll break it down in depth for you next week. But until then, the sports rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear. Mm-hmm.